Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Game Pit. This is episode 131 and we're going back in time, Ronan. It's obligatory to make some sort of do-do-do-do-do-do noises, isn't it? <laughs> we, we are headed back in time. We're going to claim it's a council chamber episode, Sean, because I like to like dredge up old names of type formats of episodes from you, three years ago. As long as it's not pit spit, you crack on. You're obsessed. Uh, to save me from your obsession, I've had to get a bodyguard in today. So before I go any further, I'm going to welcome my bodyguard, Puria. Good evening, gents. How are you? We're frozen by your soulful eyes. <laughs> what can I do? Stop looking at me. You're too pretty. <laughs> Puria is freshly back from Miami. I'm going to presume gun running. Gun running, yes, in speedboats and uh, high-collar jackets. Nice. If you didn't wear a white suit while you were out there, you're dead to me. If you didn't pilot a submarine drone, you're also dead to me. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a yes on both counts. So, Sean, we, we're going back in time. What are we up to? We are going back to 2009, Ronan. <laughs> you started me. <laughs> so, yeah, 10 years ago, we're going to look at our top 10s for that year and have a bit of a conversation about where we were in 2009 gaming-wise. I want to know where we were personally. Where I was personally. Sort of a journey have you been on in that time? <laughs> so, for some sort of context, quick chat about maybe where we were gaming-wise. 2009, we've talked about doing retrospectives before. We wanted to give it a decent length of time because we've been covering games for six years. So I kind of feel like going back five years, we've covered that ground. And maybe it's a little bit too close because those games from 2014, we'll still be talking about some of them and, and they're still part of regular rotation. Ten years felt both long ago enough for us not to have talked about a lot of these games recently and yet it was close enough that we were i think all playing games to some degree Puri, are you gonna 2009 were you playing games i just started basically around 2008 9 i got the first couple of games in with a friend of mine so we went deep dive i think we talked about this previously but uh first couple of games i played were brass dominant species so right in the thick of it. Just fillers, basically. Yeah, yeah, like fillers for, for two-player dominant species. <laughs> two-player two dominant species. <laughs> cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> I was definitely on my dive. I hadn't started logging plays yet on BGG. I was definitely buying games. I was part of my sort of regular group of friends who all got into gaming together. We were playing a lot of Euros. So games that aren't Euros, I think to me, probably came along a little bit later and I picked them up. And the ones that are probably a Euro are the sort of things we're going into. And also, I was definitely, must have been buying a lot of games because I look back on the games I've owned since from 2009 and there were some weird, strange, obscure titles in there. I think I was in that bit where you kind of flounder around and you just sort of are buying all sorts of different things without knowing really who designers are, who the big publishers are, and you're trying to establish your own tastes. So that's where I was. I was a, a pro protean? That's not the right word, is it? Someone help me out. Tit. Okay, thanks. I was forming myself as a gamer. So a proto-tit. <laughs> <laughs> I was a proto-tit gamer. There you wow. go. I feel really happy. Sean, take over. 
I don't think I was playing much at all, to be honest, Ronan. I think you were a little bit ahead of me. You had started going around to our friend Steve's house and he was introducing you to some of the more hobby games. I think I may have played one or two at this stage, but very very light games like uh, Ticket to Ride. So you, you were breaking me in gently until I first went around to Steve's who just threw the whole shelf at me. Yeah, I, this was even beyond that, I think. This was when I was building my own collection and hosting game days at my own and stuff like that. And that's how I sort of dragged you into it, by hook or by crook. Okay, putting together this particular top 10, fellas, what were your thoughts? Was it a strong field, weak field? Was it easy to pick a 10? Puria, how did you form this into a, a coherent list? For me, I think uh, the notable criteria was games that have stuck around so a lot of these I've either played recently or I uh, still have in my collection yeah so for me it was it was quite easy to put the list together I think I built an initial list of about 16 games and I knew that my, my 10 would consist of those but what surprised me is how things have changed in the last five years because I think my top 10 would be very different five years ago so i've also noticed that it's a bit it's a shame to see the missing link evolve <laughs> so i've also noticed that there's a lot of games that i actually haven't played some big names that i just haven't played from this era and i think that's probably something to do with being like a I was chasing that cult of the new and always trying to go for some new games and maybe ignoring some of these past games that I probably shouldn't have because they've got a lot of fans out there. So I'm taking it from that comment we're just to dismiss your top ten. Yeah, pretty much. And also, Roland, I also mm. noticed there's a hell of a lot of games that feature in, in the old maths trade that come up from 2009. Some of those old favourites like... Burger joint. Oh. Tu- tulip mania. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Pillars of the Earth Builder's Jewel. Oh, that's a bad game. Wow, that game, they just made, made a box and lacked fun. <laughs> Montego Bay. Oh, there's so many that just come up over and over again in those in those maths trades that we go in. The year of mass knockoffs. <laughs> um, to me, it's a bit scary, but also I had 16 contenders. What I think was most striking to me was it was quite a homogenous bunch, not in terms of the types of games they are, but how I rated them. I had no absolute standout killers that would definitely be at the top. And if number 16 was in this list, I think it would fit there as well as number six. And it was almost kind of hard to split them up. So my actual ordering here is definitely not as valid as some other top tens where the upper echelons will be clear off the lower ones. Uh, very, very much the same with me. It's quite a fluid top ten. It could change at any time. Right. I've, I've broken my own golden rule of top tens, and I must apologise to you, listeners, and my two colleagues here. I had to come up with a special mention. Yeah, Ronan, I have a special mention as well, so I'm going to let you off on this occasion. Mm. The, so apparently, that's the top ten police right there. <laughs> <laughs> Warrior's no longer with us. Apparently he was drug running in Miami. (laughs) (laughs) Sound of the police. A Poirier special mention or should we just go? Uh, I actually have two special mentions, so I'll let you both off. Oh, all right, show off. No, go for it. No, no, all right. Maybe I've got three. Go on, Poirier, what's your two special mentions? So I'm pretty sure that Igizia would have made the list had I played it. I didn't play it at the time. I haven't played it since. 
but I've heard so many good things about it that I'm pretty sure that uh, it would feature somewhere in the top 10. Yeah, I played that once and probably the same thing. It would have probably featured in my list if I if I could remember it. I remember playing it and I remember the boat sort of going along the, the, the river, but not enough to really re- put it in the top 10. Yeah, I played it a few times. Uh, I think what kept it, spoiler, out of my top 10 is it got a little samey. So if, we, if I'd played it three or four times, it may have been a contender. Once I got to six, seven, eight, I was like, this is the same game again and again. And it dropped slightly, so wouldn't be top 10 for me. Your second special mention, Puria? Uh, only because it was published in 2009, Telestrations uh, kind of pops up. I think it's still very good for what it does in the, as a party game. But I think for me personally, it, it's kind of one of those house games that exists in so many versions and in so many countries that it's kind of hard to really define it as a 2009 release. I think that's very reasoned thinking for the game pit. And I'm, does it belong? Probably not. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. My special mention, if we'd done this a few years ago, may have been a contender for top place. And it's the Resistance. Now, I've played well over 100 games of it in between the Resistance and the Resistance Avalon. I remember getting it when it was a very small release and very few people had heard of it and bringing it down. And it's one of the ways, certainly, which I integrated with other gamers and London on board and got to know people. And it was a a vital ender to the night for probably 18 months, two years from going regularly to London on board. The thing is for me that it's just faded so badly. I had it in my top 10, then I looked at it and then I said, no, this this is why it deserves a special mention fantastic literally hundreds of games of it but i would not want to play it anymore so that's why i've kept out my top 10 but i thought it was worthy of mention i think that would have been a valid a top 10 choice for your own so i'm quite surprised that it's not in your top 10 to be honest i had to do some soul searching and question myself (laughs) okay fair enough As, as sean was kind of hinting at if we'd done this list maybe three four five years ago i would have totally had resistance on there uh, and probably quite high up, but similar to yourself, I've, I've just kind of played it out. Um, it occasionally comes out if we have new people who are kind of new to gaming and just... If we want to shout at them yeah. and make them feel socially <laughs> awkward. But but it still kind of has that role to play. But, you know, we've often talked about my heavier preferences in games, so um, it's, it's not in the top 10 now, but absolutely for a lot of people, I could see it still being there. I think your heavier preferences is what keeps you coming back here all the time. To counter Sean's kids games. <laughs> no, no heavier that we are preferences. quite heavy. <laughs> well, if I've got to explain jokes, this is going to be a long two hours. <laughs> Sean, your special mention. So, actually, I'm going to do two. One of them is... Oh, like, this is like anarchy. I know, it is absolute anarchy. We'll one do of top 12, shall we? <laughs> one of them's very controversial and has suffered a lot of backlash, but... I have played this uh, with you, Ronan. I've played it with non-gamers and gamers and generally had a really good time, and that's Cards Against Humanity. I know recently it's getting a lot of backlash and it is quite distasteful at times, but I think I've I've always enjoyed it. So I wanted to give it a mention. I literally want for words. Um... <laughs> <laughs> while playing or not while playing. I, I loved it and I had a good time with it with a few beers. And I, for me, it's had its time. It was funny a few times, and then you're just seeing the same things. And I don't want to seem like I'm putting people down. People then attempted to just be outrageous rather than clever with their answers. And clever with a bit of filth will make me laugh. 
just filth with filth doesn't generally make me laugh. So I, that's why I, I couldn't laugh at that. I agree with that. I can see that, definitely. It's why it doesn't really get any plays for me anymore because, because of that. But occasionally... One of my best friends came over from Canada, and he's not a gamer, so we broke. He doesn't off. need Cards Against Humanity to be filthy. He's just <laughs> true, true, true. But he absolutely loved it to the point he bought it when he went back to Canada. So he still occasionally gives me a bit of fun, but not not enough. No, I think Rona's point is very valid. So the the other one, my main mention, is something that I used to absolutely adore, but it's kind of fallen away in this Dungeon Lords. Now I. Don't know because we haven't talked about our top tens at all, so I don't know if it's on either of your top tens. But for me, it just it it just lost the magic somewhere along the way. It, it became quite mechanical, and I kind of lost I lost the the heart of the game. You lost the heart of it. Oh. I lost my heart. I don't know what I'm saying. Carry you on. You lost your heart in a dungeon to a lord. <laughs> yes, let's <laughs> say that. Is that do we do we want to? We can have a counselling session. Did he yeah, not treat you right? He didn't. He didn't. Okay. Puriat Dungeon Lords. It's it's one on my short list. Uh, I did play it a lot at the time. One of the main things that's kind of made it drop off for me is the fact that I'm only really willing to to play it if someone's here to teach it to me again every time. So barring having someone like Lloyd, who, who actually knows the game quite well, it's just too much of a hassle to get out. That's not to say I, I don't enjoy the experience when I do play it. It's just I'm not willing to put that effort in anymore. The problem when someone knows it well enough to teach it is that they're the only person who understands the scoring and they'll destroy everyone anyway. And I never enjoyed it. I always found it too mechanical and the scoring was too removed. And the game was preventing me doing me what I thought would be fun in terms of, of building a dungeon and having adventures come into it. I was always struggling against the mechanisms rather than enjoying the experience. So it was never a contender for me. I always rated it relatively lowly. There you go. Because I'm a bit judgy. <laughs> you are a bit judgy. Shall we Shall we move on and go into our top tens? We may as well. We've been talking for 15 minutes. We should just okay. crack into it. Okay. This one had to be on here. And I think it's sort of one of my weird signature games of people that know me. It's Gonzaga is my number 10 from Guillermo de Coli. It's while I was saying I bought some sort of esoteric games over during 2009. This is one of them. A weird small release in a red box. And the way the game plays is you get given secret goals where there are ports and cities on a map of Europe. And there's all these plastic frames which are different layouts of hexagons together and everyone's got their own in their own colour and everyone draws a card to tell them what shape they're going to place this turn then they choose another card from their hand which tells them what they're allowed to cover with their hexagonal pieces that they're putting out and you actually put them out on the board and there are cities on either end of these hexagonal little they're like four or five hexes in a certain layout and you have to cover certain or the cities have to be on land and you can branch across sea and you've got different symbols for different cities you're looking to cover them or you're looking to cover ports of all the same type so all the Iberian ports or maybe some Baltic ports whatever it might be and everyone's trying to go their own way to cover certain things but it's a race to cover because the map is going to get very full up and it's different and it's really quick. It's about 45 minutes long. And you think spatially, but your spatial thinking is constricted by the piece that you've been dictated to that you have to play. And it's a bit cutthroat and it's very unusual. And probably because it's a it's a bit unusual and I'm the only person who I haven't knew has ever had it. And I've had lots of good feedback for it. Gonzaga had to be in my top 10 for 2009. Never heard of it. You've never played it? I've never made you play it? Nope. 
and uh, sounds great, but yeah, I haven't heard of it. Was a sleeper hit. You'd remember it, it as bright red, yellow, green, or blue hexy pieces. When you give it out and hand people their bag of stuff, they're like, what is this? They're like sprues, aren't they? They, yeah, like they are like sprues, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So clearly I've made you play it. You haven't made me play it. No, I've definitely avoided it. I <laughs> want to... No, I want to, want to play it, to be fair. You've always kind of just about started a game when I've when I've realised you're playing it and I'm, it's too late. But it just doesn't stand out from the crowd at all until you open that box. On the shelf and even in a list of games, I didn't spot this in the list of 2009 games at all. It just kind of fades into the background. I think It's the name of an Italian Renaissance family yeah. and it's got a... <laughs> It's a, it looks like every other euro in the world on the box. Possibly slightly mismarketed, but a really clever, fun little game. So, all right, that's a blowout from me on my first attempt. Maria, <laughs> you're number 10. I'm going to start with the most uh, euro of euro games, and that's 2009's Hansa Teutonica. So um, I think the original publisher was uh, Zeman, or at least the edition I've played. Uh, designer was Andreas Stedding. This really is the quintessential Euro from the grumpy man on the cover to the kind of East German theming. Having said that, it's actually one that's really held up well for me. I don't personally own it, but I, I'm always happy to play it. And when people bring it around, especially with the updated maps that you can pick up, I think it's one of those Euro games that still does what it does really, really well. I rarely have seen people react negatively to it. So for me... I apparently have played it because it came up. I've got one play of it listed on Board Game Geek. I don't remember that play. I had a little look at the pictures to see if it would uh, shed some light, but not really. But it does look very Euro. I can I can tell you that it looks very Euro. And I think a couple of years ago, when I was kind of on that real sort of old Euro, and I was buying things like Turn and Taxis and that kind of thing, I think I probably would have been looking at this as well. So definitely in that wheelhouse. Yeah, I've played it a handful of times, and I'd say it's a good game, but it lacks fun for me. And it's one in which I'm trying to run an engine, then other players will come in and block you, which is good play by people, and then you have to think your way around how they've blocked you. But the thinking around doesn't offer enough just fun. I just feel like it's a mechanical spreadsheet. Uh, and I know as a fan of Euro games, that sounds a bit weird. And it can be very strange reasons why we like certain Euros and don't like other ones. But this one, for some reason, is just a slight miss and was not really a contender for my top 10, to be honest with you. Because it's not like I ever walked away and had a story to tell about a game of Hansa Teutonica. But a good game. Just not great for me. Okay, so my number 10 is something we've already talked about, so we don't have to linger too long on it. It is The Resistance. Uh, Don, Eskridge, Indie Borden cards. And I haven't had those hundreds of plays that Ronan... You're such a coy little devil not letting that one slip. (laughs) Look at you, man of mystery. (laughs) I thought he was so close. I didn't want you know, I'll wait two minutes or ten minutes as it turned out. And... It's, it's a great social deduction game. Probably the best social deduction game. I've always had a lot of fun playing it. I would still happily play it now with the right group. And yeah, that's why it's in my number 10. It's no Dark Moon. Oh, I get that rubbish off I knew, off I knew. Table. I just get you to shout at me a little bit, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've heard my thoughts. It was a very good game, just played out a little. And I, and I think it deserves top um, 10 for, for a lot of people, so. 
Thanks. Thanks for being the voice of the people over there. <laughs> Puria is in the role of the choir in today's game. <laughs> now, my nine, I have to say that I'm I'm second-guessing myself on this as I look back at this list from, from afar. But for some reason, I've put it in only at nine. I might have to tell myself off. It's World Without End. Michael Reinick and Stefan Stadler. Wow. I know. Oh, man, I had that in the running for your number one. Yeah. I can't quite... I think it's because there's been negative reactions from certain people when I've taught it and we've played it and not everyone enjoys it. And I still have got... I'm going to look up how many plays I've got. I'm going to say it's maybe four or five. It's not endless plays. Uh, yeah, five. And I can't remember having played ever where all four people were super into it and were all enjoying how mean and tight and horrible it is. And... A lot of our game is obviously contextual. I was listening to, I'll tell you what I was listening to, the Dukes of Dice review of Blackout Hong Kong. Uh, it just came out a couple of days ago. And one of the hosts, Sean, clearly had a horrific experience playing Blackout Hong Kong. And the other guy from the table had commented, and they do like you know other people's comments on the game, and they both hated it. And it kind of felt to me like they had a really bad experience at the table. That's an extreme reaction. But for me, I haven't had the perfect experience with it for me to say oh yeah when I sat down with Ed and Lloyd and Puria and we played it all together it was fantastic I would love to have that experience and it could easily pop its way up right to the top of this list and I, that's the only reason I could think of why I put this at nine because I put it at nine a week or two ago and it has all the markings of a higher game than that it just hasn't quite transcended I think it actually holds up really well it's one I would happily play if you pull it out again I do remember it being very mean, and I think uh, that's in a good way. But I can see your problem with getting it to the table in terms of it potentially being quite punishing. So it's one of those games that might rub people the wrong way. Difficult to get the table, but I think, yep, still a solid game from 2009. Yeah, Ronan, I think it's a very good choice. As I said, I'm really surprised it's not higher up on your list. It's, it's a very strong game and worthy for your list. I can't wait to hear about it in a section. <laughs> Puria, your number nine. My number nine is Claustrophobia. In all honesty, this is probably in some part to the reprint that was recently done. So um, the game's just been released as Claustrophobia 1643 uh, in a very shiny new Kickstarter edition. The game itself, uh, I've played once or twice uh, in the time since it was released. Now, obviously, with the shiny new edition, a couple of more opportunities to play it. It's one of those where I really can't honestly say it's a great game. There are a lot of issues with the game, especially with the balance of it. Uh, having said that, if you go into the game with that in mind, I think as a two-player game, it can actually have a lot of exciting moments. And as we sometimes talk about, uh, having a story to tell can be more important than the kind of perfect game balance. So for me, I think it's a game that's going to stay on my two-player shelf. But unlike some of the other games that I think we could probably interchange in, in spots, this one is staying on the low end of my top 10. But um, having said that, I, I really like it. Yeah, I didn't really get on with claustrophobia. It's, it's quite funny because I was actually watching a video with um, Tom Vassell and Rado from Dice Tower Con West where Rado was basically told to roast Tom 
and do a top 10 of things he disagreed with Tom about. So, and one of them was claustrophobia. Rado really likes it. He loves the Euro mechanisms. And Tom actually reminded me some of the things I didn't like about it. It was that the wave upon wave of the same creature coming out. It just felt a bit monotonous. There were those runaway leader problems where the game could just break. And I just never got on with it. So I can see why people like it. It's just not for me. Yeah, you're wrong. And, uh, I may as well just say it's my number eight. It's the next one coming up, so I'll just throw it in here and save some time. I knew it'd be uh, on your list somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it had to be, it had to be. Those problems you talk about with the monotonous creatures, that's because it's a puzzle. It's not really a story game. It's a puzzle game from which stories come. I particularly love the damage system whereby you lose lines of your actions and as you take damage, you're actually making decisions to become more defensive with a certain character or more offensive or quicker and wherever it may be. And you're actually choosing where the damage goes. That's clever to me. And the runaway leader problems and the perceived lack of variety, the variety is in the scenarios, not massively, but it's in there. And it only takes 45 minutes to play once you know it and, and that's where it comes from so people are trying to judge it alongside two or three hour dungeon crawls and it's not that level of a game so to me that's why I think sometimes it's misunderstood I never got the expansions originally because to me they were crazy overpriced for what was in them a lot of that has been rolled into this new version but then conversely there wasn't enough in the new version for me to go I need to get it because I've got the old version and it's very similar. So I'm going to stick old school, possibly hipster, and I'm going to wait till my copy of Claustrophobia becomes cool again and drag it out because I really like it. It's my number eight, so I might as well throw that in there. Okay, so uh, taking the magic out of it, Ronan. So my number nine... There's, there's no magic. in It's prayer, but there's no magic in Claustrophobia. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, thanks. You got that wrong. I don't like you very much. My number nine is Maori. Designed by Gunter Burkhart, coming from Rio Grande Games. A tile layer, which I, I'm always sort of drawn to anyway. But when I first played it at Ronan's house, I think it was, I was a little bit, oh, I don't know if I like that very much. But recently we played it at LobsterCon with Chris and, and somebody else. Uh, I think that was Chris and his lovely girlfriend. Who? Well, yeah, she's really offended now. <laughs> she's, she is really, really offended. And it, yeah, it, it sung to me, Ronan. It really sung to me. I loved, I loved the tile placement. I loved moving that boat around and the strategic play of moving that boat around because you affect everybody else's turn and obviously the, the, the collection and the set collection. It, it, it all marries into a very enjoyable experience. It, it's Maori for me. And we know you like games about islands because we've talked about that before. <laughs> <laughs> I like islands. I like uh, islands. Yeah, I've still got it. It's Survive the Cull, which tells you that I do think it's a good game. It's going to be top 25 for me for this year. But the reason I keep it is that it's definitely one of those games which I like to play with newer players because it gives you a clear indication of how some of your actions are going to affect and ripple out, as you said, to the other players. And I think it's sometimes one of those games that can flick people's gamer brain on and they go, oh, hold on. If I do this, you're screwed because of that. Especially as it gets tight later on and you get rubbish tiles coming out and volcanoes in the way and all the rest of it that causes you problems and your, your currency starts to run out. And it's one that quite often players will say, can we play it again? Can we play it again? Can we play it again? And they can feel their own progression through it, which means it's a very strong design. So I like Maori. It's a good game. And I like Islands too. Islands all the way. I think um, it never made its way into my collection. I do like that kind of little tile selection mechanism in the middle and i think for the for an audience of new players especially it 
definitely um, it does a good job. But in terms of my personal preferences, I think great game, maybe as well, maybe top 25 from the year. Yeah, very solid game. Nice. And because I couldn't wait, I spent What's, what's your program. number eight, Ronan? I'm, I'm, I'm baited with here. It's a secret. Shut up. Poria, you're up. You're number eight. <laughs> My number eight is a little bit of a tricky one to the extent that um, I actually got rid of my copy. So the game in question is Cyclades. The person who inherited that copy is, of course, Ronan. And at the time... Hi. I was just saying hi. Um, at the time I got rid of the game, it was really based on the base game. And uh, there was a lot I liked about the game. I think the thing that I found frustrating was that last turn when everyone potentially could win and it really came down to the person who got the right auction for the right guard and, and that kind of two-city bum fight at the end. Since, it's had several expansions, Titans being the most recent one, and it's one of those rare games where I think every single release uh, of an expansion has actually made the game more interesting and better. And I think had I known the kind of roadmap releases, I would have very much kept the game. I think it's a game I'll still absolutely happily play. Still haven't played Titans, which I actually hear is very, very good. So given that, it's even got something for me to explore. So uh, for me, a very solid game for 2009. Yes, Cyclades for me is a game I would own. Definitely would own if it was a two-player game and if Natalie liked uh, auctions bidding etc but I've had a lot of fun playing this yeah it's alright I mean I don't want to say too much it's okay <laughs> we'll hear about it later <laughs> shall we eh so my number eight is a family game it's called The Magic Labyrinth designed by Dirk Bauman and from Dry Magia Spieler Magic Labyrinth is a game one of the first games my son really, really took to. Very easy to teach. You're just moving a, a little ball bearing around with a magnet. You can't see what's underneath and there's all obstacles that will knock that ball bearing off. And you've got to get to various targets along this maze. Very simple, very effective. And we've had a lot of enjoyment over the last few years playing this with my son and my wife. Yeah, I think I discovered how good that rash of Dry Magier Spieler releases were slightly after this had come out. I think I'm looking at like Decline and Zorbalalinga and stuff like that. So I have never played it. But as a general thumbs up, if you do have children who are like between the ages of four and ten, look at Dry Magier Spieler releases. They do tend to get overshadowed over here by Haber and what like have you. But to me, for consistency of quality, that that publisher is better. So I believe, Sean, that this is a good game. Thank you, Ronan. And I'm sure I'd believe him too if I'd played it, but um, <laughs> very much out of my age range. And uh, yeah, I didn't have much hope that you'd played it, P Dog. To be fair. <laughs> okay, should we move on to number sevens? Yarp. Now this is both a game and a penance for Puria that I make you. I haven't made you play it once, but I intend to make you play it more. And he's going to know now that this is Middle Earth Quest again. So low. <laughs> Well... This is your guilty pleasure. Yeah, but it is a guilty pleasure. It's not just a pleasure. It's not a great game. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's an epic game. It allows you to explore the narrative of the, yeah, the end of the Third Age and Middle-earth without being tied exactly to the story of the books, which is one of the reasons why I really love it. Obviously, it's set around Lord of the Rings, but you're playing other characters. For the most part, it's a team versus one where one is playing as Sauron and the Dark Forces and the others are, are different heroes and they have got different 
objectives they're attempting to achieve together and they're trying to very much hide how they're attempting to win from Sauron who's attempting to do his standard dominate and move armies out and corrupt them as usual and it captures to me an epic feel of the world like I say without being tied consistently to the narrative of the books although it's there and those characters appear and you can use them in interesting ways and it's a load of fun but it is very much off its time off ffg in terms of rules overhead exceptions the need for player aid the fact that you almost need uh, a games master there to have the game running for people so that they can have fun. Because how often are you ever going to get together a group of four people who all know the game very well and know the rules? So I accept that role and I enjoy it and I end up being sore on all the time so that the other people can, can mess around and have fun. And it brings a lot of fun to me. But it couldn't be higher up because there are those faults to the game itself. But as it's like Sean's Blackout Hong Kong slash Firefly review <laughs> for an episode or two ago it's it brings the fun without being a fantastic game it has some issues with it but i, re- I personally love it and as a guilty pleasure i can see it being on the list and given i do get to usually have a drink or two before we play it uh, i do very much enjoy her experience of it but it would have never made my list and i don't think i could probably also recommend it to anyone at the moment for what it is yeah it's loads of fun I would love to play this, Ronan, but for some reason, the time when you play it is normally around Christmas, and we're never really around uh, together around that sort of Christmas week, are we? It's always something, either you're on away, I'm away, we obviously live quite far apart, we do shift work, so I'm, I'm in, Ronan. If we ever do cross paths around about Christmas, and this is on the table, I will certainly join it. Even if we did, though, th- with our family with us, we're not going to be able to sit down for four hours and play Middle Earth. Yeah, class, yeah We're going to be doing family stuff. So, But also, obviously, this one is at risk by journeys in Middle Earth. I'm gonna, it's going to be a first mention game soon. I talk about it so much. We're going to see how much crossover there is now. I know it's not the same system. It's, it's not going to be one versus many, but it, it brings in a similar sort of narrative and feel, I think. So anyway, my number seven, Middle Earth Quest. Puria is going to regale us with his number seven. My number seven is one of Matt Goetz's uh, early releases. Specifically at the time, this was Imperial 2030. Now, it's a game that is a little tricky to get to the table, and um, I also think it's a bit of an acquired taste. Just for context, um, in the game you can own investments in nations, and the person who has the most investment in those nations gets to control the nations. On the flip side, that means if you don't actually have the majority investment in a country, you don't get to take a turn for that country. It's a game that can often rub people the wrong way, but for those who like it, I think it's one that people often get excited to get to the table again and again. And in in that regard, it's going to stay around in my collection. Uh, It's not one I'll play very often, but when I do, I think it does something that very few games do. For for being so unique, I think it's made my top list uh, for the year. So I know absolutely nothing about this game other than it was in my list of things that appear in maths trades quite often. And what you've just said, P-Dog. From what you've just said, I think it might be a little bit too mean and frustrating for me, but I'm certainly willing to give it a go. Yeah, I've I've played Base Imperial. 
I remember buying the conversion kit when this came out so I could turn my base Imperial into 2030. And I remember trawling that thing around me for what felt like four and a half years and no one ever agreeing to play it. So, it, I mean, we talk about other games being hard to get to the table. This is a killer. And the reason I found that was was the players who had been playing for long enough at that time that I was meeting, a lot of them had had negative experiences playing Imperial. And I can certainly understand that because it can be frustrating. It's very opaque you can just make money and then waste money while the other players can play the system around you and see you're wasting money and let you do it and then pounce on the carcass of your investments which makes it a very good game if everyone's on board and everyone's understanding it and a very difficult game to get to the table i will happily play this with you again mate i am the world's worst imperial player so i suggest you put up some form of wager and fleece me because i will not win trust me Cheers, Piri, I take him up on it, quick. Uh, my number seven has been mentioned by Ronan before. It is World Without End, Michael Reineck and Stefan Sadler. And for me, very much second to Pillars of the Earth, but still a very, very good game in its, in its own right. I like the openness in Pillars of the Earth and the tightness slightly puts me off with World Without End, but it's such a strong game and it's something that I don't get to the table enough. And that goes for Pillars as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to play it again soon, Ronan. Let's do it. I'm in, my man. I'm always in. It doesn't take that long and uh, I'm always happy to be made miserable by a game. <laughs> We've already said it all, but uh, I think it's a game that really holds up well. Happy to play it, and that little bit of grumpiness, that little bit of delicious meanness. So, yeah, all good. So when I get grumpy, you sit back and laugh, and that just makes me grumpier. So uh, <laughs> this is supposed to be a right entertaining one for you. Okay, my number six. Now, this is, is going to be a bit left field. As I said before when I've done these lists, I don't necessarily always look... I, I try and judge games within their own oeuvre. And this one is definitely one of those. It's You Robot by Alain Rivelet. And You Robot is a team game where it's for pairs. And you can have up to four pairs and you have a doctor and you have a robot. And all the doctors get together, all the scientists get together and they look at a card and it shows them a pose that the robot has to take. And the robot doesn't get to see that at all. And then the scientists can only use these three double-sided cards to indicate, so like point at a robot picture on a card and then use an arrow and move it around. So like I point at Sean's hand, but on a card and move it with an arrow and he should be understanding where I want him to put his hand and which way I want him to turn it. Or do I want him to grab a chair? Do I want him to lie on the floor? And the first pair who can get the robot into the correct pose scores a point and you're going to play to a certain number of points. So many points you want to play to, you do your own thing. The reason I rate it so highly is because there are a few games in which I have laughed so much and so consistently when playing and it's a perfect game to come out of a three-hour Euro and then just relax and be funny and have a good time. And not people don't feel the pressure to be creative because you can only communicate via these cards and the robot can only do what they're told and scientists can only interpret the movements as they can. And it just creates a lot, a lot of laughs and I think that that needs to be valued as well as the deep strategy games and that's why you, Robot is my number six. And it's a great party game. I think, um, as you're alluding to, the ability of this game to make people laugh, especially you know in an evening setting after after a heavy night and, and it really does that well. It reminds me a little bit of Ugg Tech, 
which obviously does a similar thing with that inflatable club. Architect was one of my 16. It was, I mean, it, was, it never made it, but it was definitely there because we had some funny games of that as well. Yeah. So for what it does, it's it's a great little game. And it's one of the few games, I think, that has that kind of physical interaction, which which board games often shy away from. So for doing that, I think it's it's probably a well-deserved spot. Yeah, I actually had a little look at that one. I thought, it's that, that robot one that Ronan used to really like. And then I thought, I wonder if it's on his list. And it was... It is one of the few games of this type that doesn't sound irritating to me. So, yeah, I, I would actually quite like to play this. Probably for the reasons that you mentioned, Roland, because you don't have to, you haven't got that pressure on you. You've, only, you've got a limited amount of instructions, and it does sound quite funny. So, yeah, I'm up for this one. Oh, that's, that's more positive than I thought. I'll, I'll say the other thing that's going for it quickly is that it's a physical game, which gamers play, which doesn't require actual dexterity. So, you can't really be bad at it. So, you know, if something's throwing or balancing, some players feel awkward. Well, you can't feel awkward, you, ro- you robot. You can only be as good as the instructions you're getting or are giving. And everyone's bad at that in some way, sometime. You'll just go, oh, yeah, I completely messed that up. So I think that takes some of the pressure off some people as well playing a physical game. So anyway, that was my number six, you robot. Puria, delight us. Now, for my number six, we're definitely starting to get into that territory where games are, are very much interchangeable. So uh, in terms of the exact order from here on, it's it's much of a muchness. But this is a early Eric Lang game, specifically Chaos in the Old World. And for me personally, I think this actually holds up much better than some of the recent games he's released. Uh, it still has that heavy asymmetric feel to it with four factions that are, are wildly different, in fact. But I, I think it just it was a tighter kind of game for me, um, better balanced, and it's still an experience that I think is is quite unique for me. And I'm always happy to play it. It's a little difficult to get to the table these days. Uh, a lot of the teach is is a little tricky, but I think for what it does, it's it's a great game. Um, and it's one I prefer actually over this more recent stuff uh, stuff around uh, Blood Rage or Rising Sun. So this is gonna sound weird. This game, I've never... Oh, I'm, I'm listening now. <laughs> <laughs> I've never played this game, but I think if I had played it, it would be my number one. I, it, it seems uh, that, me, that begs a question, Sean. You can't leave that hanging. Why have you never played it? <laughs> because it's it's quite hard to get. I know I know, I know. it's Rachel's favourite game. I know you've got it, but we're always playing podcast stuff. We're always we're always busy playing for the next planning for the next episode, and it is a is a beast. It does take a long time. I believe the the learning curve is quite steep. So I've never really seen it being played. I've never been invited to play it. You're the only person I know who has a copy, Ronan. I can't buy it myself because it's three player. I'll never get it played. So I'm intimidated by it. Much like something like TI4 or TI3. I oh, know it's, no, it's not it. like that at all. I know, I know, it's but it's, really. it's the same feeling that I have. I'm quite intimidated by, by getting into it, learning it, and that's the reason I've never played it, but I'm pretty sure if I ever do play it, I'm going to love it. Puri might correct me, but it's like 90 minutes to two hours, Puri, is that right? Yeah, is it? yeah absolutely. Okay. Uh, I, that's not what I thought at all. Sorry. The, the kind of issue, I think, is around the teaching. So if, if you're trying to teach to a lot of new players and ha- having to explain each of the factions and how they differ, uh, that can really eat up some time. So I think the more new players to the game, the longer the teachers, um, and that's going to make the experience quite a bit longer. I think there's a, there's a balance whereby when you're teaching it, you say, do you want to have a chance of winning? It's going to take 45 minutes for me to teach you, or do you not? And I'll teach you in 10 minutes. You can play it once, see what you did wrong, and then you'll know how to play next time. 
And, and both answers are valid, but but that's what that's the kind of you can offer someone and say. Yeah, is this is this um a game where you have to know what all the other factions do and what they're capable of and how they win? It's better to know them, right? Yeah, and I think um, it's it's maybe one of its downsides. It's if if you have a player who's weaker than the rest, then I think that can give an unfair advantage to the other players. So in that regard, it's probably one of those games that uh, you want to play with people on the same level. So maybe all try together or learn together um, and grow into rather than being able to kind of rope in new players. So that, that is downside and it makes it difficult to get to the table. But I think it's absolutely worth investment. And uh, by the sounds of it, we're, we're due a four-player game of it. Hey, I think this is one of my stubborn stances <laughs> that I've rated the base game relatively low because of the fact that a god can run away with it and it doesn't always balance out. And yet the Horned Rat expansion is one of the best expansions to me that's ever been made and completely changes it round. And then everyone has to think about the rat player as so they, you can't just be single-minded in that assault to run away lead a victory. And the rat... Will it will almost cause you more problems the better you're doing? Almost is the most effective semi co-op in a non semi co-op game ever because the rat becomes anyone everyone's enemies. So with the rat, it it would have been a massive contender for the base game itself. I know it's a weird way of judging it. There's just slight imbalances, but I always am happy to play. And as Sean said, it's one of Rachel's favourite games ever. So that that offer for a game is always there. Very good. So my number six is Jaipur, designed by Sebastian Porchon, coming from Gameworks. Jaipur has been around in my household for a long time. It was one of the very first games that we bought. It's just a, it's just a really effective at what it does. It's a, it's a very good set collection game. You don't have to explain it too, too much. It all kind of rolls off the tongue. It's portable. You can play it pretty much anywhere. And I always have a really great time playing Jaipur. Yeah, this is one of my 16, right, you know, just, just missed out. And I think, to be honest, it just missed out because I haven't played it recently. And that's the only reason. Uh, Ellie and I used to play it sometimes in the cafe when we were waiting around for a sister at an after-school club or have you. But that's a few years ago now. I mean, quite a few years ago thinking about it. So because it hasn't, for whatever reason, rotated back in again, it slipped down the ratings a little. If it had happened to be on the table in the last 12 months, it could well have plumped into my top 10 somewhere. It's one of those where I said it's very close between a few games. Very good two-player game. Really enjoy it. And I think for me personally, I'm going to trade in my answer for a later slot. Okay, there you go. So we are on to our number fives. My number five, Sean, was, was plucked from the pit of doom, from the very edge, teetering, as you will know when I say it's at the gates of Luyang by Uwe Rosenberg. And this is like the anti-Jaipur because I really love this game and then I hadn't played it for a while. And then I was, because I was making room, it's one of those where I said, well, I haven't played it for a long time and I've got other Rosenberg games I play ahead of it. Do I really need to keep it? And then Tasty Minstrel are reprinting it and I uh, said to them that I'd do a video for it and I got it out to do the video and went, oh yeah I really really like this game and then we played it a couple of times very recently which has bounced it right back up the ratings showing that sometimes our memory fades and we don't rate these older games as highly as we should because this came back to me about how tactical you have to be while yet having a strategy how flexible the game is the fantastic card system whereby 
as you go through a round of cards, you have to offer more cards and offer more cards. But the more cards you offer, you're trying to get someone else to take cards because then they have to empty out their whole hand. And then you have more things to choose from, but you don't want to get to the point where you're giving away something that you really want for yourself. And there's a really lovely teetering thing to that. And the whole rest of it works really quickly and intuitively. And a field comes out and you fill it up and then you're trying to sow it and you're trying to reap it and then you're turning into money and you have to satisfy certain customers. And it all just works so well it's a fantastically designed game and i can't believe that i forgot how good it was and i'm really glad that i got it back out again recently and started playing it again because at the gates of liang is a superb game i have a bit of a mixed history with uva games so um there's a few i really like like le havre i like base agricola but this in all honesty just predates my kind of interest in his game so i've never really got a chance to play it it sounds very tight which is, I think, the kind of side of Uber games I prefer more. So I'd be really happy to try it. Yeah, we reviewed this one a, a while back, Ron, and I didn't get on with it. Now, a lot of people who I was, whose opinions I respect, and Ronan, really enjoy this game. So I'm wondering whether I should give it another go, because as I said, in the last few years, my tastes have evolved quite a lot. But I just remember it being a little bit repetitive and... I remember being a, a few sort of overpowered things happening where I didn't feel like I had the control that I needed in such a tight tactical game. But this is all going back quite a couple, good couple of years, so maybe I should give it another go. I think that that capacity for surprise and certain cards syncing with what other players have got going on is actually one of the positives for me. And the fact that what could be a very solitaire game, because of that card phase is not and you have to know what everyone else is doing and what they're trying to do because if you give them away the perfect card they can suddenly click together use their market store boom 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 and they're suddenly they're leaping ahead a bit and it could be hard to catch people but if you're the one who's giving them the card you only have yourself to blame so that's one of the reasons amongst others why i really like at the gates of loyang and it's my number five for 2009 puria your number five my number five is uh, probably my first genuine cheat on this list. So uh, the game... Hold on. F- first, <laughs> and genuine and cheat are all really concerning <laughs> words. So there's more cheats coming. Yeah, you cheated first. a bit already and you felt the need to cheat. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, <laughs> Great. So We need another guess. Sean. This is really specifically Nemo's War. Uh, the reason I say it's a slight cheat is because the game I have is the second edition, which was only released in 2017. But the original Nemo's War was released in 2009. I don't typically play solo games. I have a few. Ronin recently uh, talked about Deep Space D6, which I do have enjoyed. But um, beyond that, it's never really enticed me. This is one of the few games that have been so highly recommended that, that I took a go at it. And I think it is a genuinely fantastic experience. So for me, it is maybe the only exception to a big solo game that I'm willing to play. And I've played it maybe half a dozen times. And each time I, I make sure to leave a couple of months in between just so I don't get overplayed. Always enjoy it. I think it's fantastic for what it does, and uh, I'd have no hesitations in terms of recommending it to anyone who's uh, keen to try a larger box solo game. I also have the second edition, and I very much had the intention of this being my, my first delve into solo playing, and of course I haven't played it. I don't think the first edition 
bears much likeness to what's what has now become the second edition. I think there's he's saying changes. you're a blatant cheap yeah, yeah, I am, yeah, pretty much. That. Yeah, I think there's rule changes, there's updates. Obviously, it's a nice uh, looking game, and yeah, I think you're a cheat. But fair play, yeah, I think it, it, from all all impressions, it's a great game. So if we were allowed to include games in 2017, <laughs> <laughs> this would be a good choice, but it would be a slightly different list and a bit arbitrary. Best games in 20, 2009 or 2017. <laughs> I have never played the second edition of Captain Nemo's War, despite the fact that I do on occasion play solo games. And the reason I haven't really bothered is because I said to Sean... I'm going to take that from you in two years' time when you'll have played it zero times. And he insisted quite loudly he will definitely have played it that week. Did I? Yes. I'm normally fairly honest about these things. Yeah, no, you don't. I know, I'm really, I'm really excited about this. I was excited about it. When I was abusing you for backing it at all, another unreasonable Kickstarter backing from you. It's fine, I'll just... So... I'm going to box it up and resend it to him as a Kickstarter and he'll just enjoy it all over again. He's done it already. <laughs> he just likes opening the box. No, Speaking I know what you do to boxes, Puria, so I ain't having your coffee. Once. I've done that once. <laughs> you have not done that once. <laughs> Puria used to take, say games fit in half a box, he'd cut the box down by half and then make it look like that's how it came, but like the writing wouldn't be in the right place or the picture would cut off halfway and you'd be looking at it going... What's this version? Where does it come from? <laughs> it was brutal. It was horrific to see. Anyway, w- when you eventually give up and you accept that you're never going to play it, Sean, I will start playing this. Thanks. Okay, no worries, Ronan. I'm here to serve. So my number five is Cyclades or Cyclades. Uh, Bruno Catala, Ludovic Morblanc coming from Matago. We've already talked about it as one of P-Dog's uh, selections and maybe one of Ronan's coming. And... It shows you how much I like this game in the fact that I can't own it because it's, I'll never get it played. And I had so much fun playing it. I love the bidding for the favours of the guards, the area control, the cards that change things up. I just think it's such a brilliant system and I really enjoy it every time I play Cyclades. Uh, I, I think I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Sure, I'm sure we played it. Maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Maybe it was someone else. Probably any thoughts? No, as we said, a really, really great game with all the stuff they brought out and uh, happy to always play it. And I think it's uh, very rock solid, both still actually. I think it's actually one of those games that hasn't really been replaced in any way since. So, um, yeah, great choice. It hasn't It hasn't really aged, has it, I, I think? I think it, it still holds up today. If this was released today... With with nice minis or what have you, everyone would go, wow, what a, what a cool game. Oh, maybe I should try it someday. Okay. Yeah, yeah maybe you should. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this one's going to be somewhere on Sean's. But no, I number four, and this is definitely not the coolest choice in the world, and, and pe- people poo-poo it. I think it's called Poo-Poo Small World by Philip Kayertz. But for me, my personal history, how much I enjoyed it when it first came out in 2009, the fact that I was playing it regularly while expansions came out and I enjoyed those expansions, and then the fact that it's one of Ellie's first ever grown-up games she played and she loves it and she now buys the expansions for it and we still continue to play it and the variety and the meanness and how funny it is and the fact that it's self-balancing no two games are ever the same. The clever play is rewarded, but you can still get stomped on. There's flexibility in the system. 
I think it's a really, really good game. And I don't know why it's cool to, to stump up and down in it. But Small World is my number four from 2009 and Evergreen. And we're going to be playing this in 10 more years' time, I'm sure. It's simply, I think, for me, a game I've come too late to. So I didn't really pick it up when it came out. I played it a couple of years later. And yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it. It was never a game that really got me um, or really drove me to, to acquire it. I can sometimes find a little bit frustration in the area control aspect, especially because it can be prone to people kind of picking on various uh, factions. But I respect the choice, and I think uh, for a lot of people, this is uh, going to be on their list. I think I respect your choice is the polite way of saying it. it's a rubbish choice, but maybe it's not. Sean, any thoughts on Small World? Uh, no, well, let's not be silly. It's my number four choice as well. Oh! Um, yeah, can we sing? <laughs> god bless us and it's a brilliant simple area control game i think the magic is in pairing the races and the powers it's just a a load of fun in a box and i'm really looking forward to to getting it back into the rotation because james is, is nearly at that age where i think he'll start appreciating this and i'm probably more excited about it than he will be but yeah small world it's my number four for the year, and it's Ronan, so it's got to be all right, maybe. It's got to be all right, isn't it? Yeah, he's definitely getting there. You know, base game him, get him, get him used to those those races and those powers. I think sometimes people start too quickly with like everything, and you're like, oh, I can't, I have no idea what these powers are going to be. If you get ten games under your belt with the base powers and races, you get to see them all a couple of times or a few times, and then you can start actually making strategic and tactical decisions about what races you want and also you can see what other races are capable of doing and what their objectives may be on the map and that's I think the best way to play it rather than just chucking everything at it and just being like oh I don't know these things were appeared there those things were appeared there I didn't know you were going for mountains what's going on around here definitely for sure I never ever ever pick dwarves because they're rubbish you know what they, they double up on the point scoring for the mountains so rubbish well no, they don't it's mines but anyway you only get three mines, of them whatever, whatever. waste of space waste of a small amount of space because they're, <sighs> they're dwarfs and Puria is gonna I presume break the uh, break the chain here I don't think Small World's your number four what is it to, unfortunately to break the three way novelty my four is a game that kind of came on the back of the worker placement craze back then and that is Carson City its main differentiator at the time was the fact that you could vie for the same spots so everyone places the cowboys they can place them in the same area and then once everyone's placed uh, areas are resolved anyone with multiple cowboys have a duel uh, the winner of which gets to actually resolve the space it's a game that still holds up for me today, especially with the big box release of 2015 by Quinn Games, which brought in all the expansions and introduced a lot more of the uh, role selection, which is another notable kind of differentiator for the game. It's not one I would get out all the time, but I think it's easy to teach and people generally do enjoy it. It's still got a theme for me that's quite unique. Yeah, my number four, Castle City. Yeah, it's all right, I suppose. Move on. It's right up there. I knew, I knew it was. The minute you said it, I knew it was good. Just going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. So why didn't it quite make my top 10? Because it didn't. Just because it can be uppy-downy and you can have really, really good games of it, but you can have enough flat games of it 
where people maybe aren't having as much fun that it just nudged it out. And I've had flat games of it and certain games where I've been like, mm, and I in fact sold it. So I had it back in the day, got it in 2009, kept it for a few years, got rid of it, played it again since, really enjoyed myself, but it didn't inspire me to get that big box reprint, which says to me, I enjoy it. Again, another one that's pro- that is top 20 for the year, but one or two flat plays. And I, and I can absolutely see that. The, even I've had a game or two where, where it hasn't really clicked and it's something to be mindful of. But for me personally, when it does click, I, I do definitely, definitely still enjoy it. So we know what my four is. Uh, Ronan, we're on to number threes. I think I might have to get a bit defensive here going in because I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm going to get poo-pooed for a particular reason because I think people will feel like this doesn't deserve a place so high up. It's a game from... Dennis Blanchot, Guillaume Gilnave, and Igor Pudishin. And it is, whatever people think, probably the bestseller to come out of a game that us lot play in the last 10 years. It's Spot It, which became Double. And I know it's not much of a game. It's the game where there's circular cards and there's various ways to play. And every single card shares one symbol in common with every other card. And you can play sort of snap variants or grab from the middle or put into the middle. There's different ways of playing. Why, what would possess me to put it in my top 10 for the year is because it is a genuine five or 10 minute game that comes in a tiny tin that plays cross-generation, which can be played by gamers as that sort of filler, that bit of fun. I know there's not much to it. Definitely more plays with my family, both old and young, than with actual gamers. But the idea is so good that you feel like it must have been done before 2009. And it never was. And it's an absolute classic. And this game will run and run and run for decades. It literally is sold by the millions in the UK. It's no longer seen as as sort of a a game game. It's a game that you see in the big stores, in the big news agents, in service stations on the motorway. Double is everywhere. Started to spot it in 2009. I've had so much fun with my family. Like I say, cross-generational playing it. That when I sat down and said... Of these games, which are the best? Double is an absolute classic. So I had to put it in there, my number three. And I'm sure it's not on anyone else's list. And to be honest, it could well have. So I've similarly had the game for for many years now. And it's actually a really, really good game to pull out with new gamers. Especially some of the variants in terms of hot potato. um, Just bring out laughs. And it's rare that the game doesn't actually kind of hit the mark. I think if I was to do my list again, it would probably deserve a spot somewhere there for uh, its simplicity. I think it belies how popular the game is and um, how well designed it is. So yeah, fantastic game actually. Did you just not spot it? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Sure. Why, why, why do I put up with you? <laughs> Personally, I really dislike it. I get too stressed playing it. But my son absolutely adores it. He's progressed from the junior version to now the normal version. I think it is a very, very clever game. I absolutely can see the love for it. It's just not to my particular tastes, but it's a simple simple genius in a tin. Much like you. <laughs> Without the tin. They're going to find that or one. Or the genius. <laughs> oi, oi. Do you resemble that remark again? I might resemble that remark. <laughs> Paria, top three. Wow us. 
It's actually one we've already had. So for me, it's Jaipur. And um, I think as, as kind of Sean was already saying, it's one that's really held up well for a two-player game. It's actually a game I'm on my second copy, mainly because um, we've played it with new players. They've taken it away. They've, you know, I've let them keep, keep the copy. And it's a really good game, both for introducing new players, for just a quick two-player game in the evening. And it's become a staple for me for, for you know, that occasion when uh, it's just the two of us. Keep it brief, but yeah, great game for me. Yeah, well, you know already I love me a bit of Jaipur. I'm quite surprised it's it's uh, so high on your list, P-Dog. I didn't see you, I thought you were more of a deep, long Euro gamer. I didn't see it sort of sticking around for you. I think it- you just wanted to say deep and long and poor in the same sentence. I wanted to. Pretty much, pretty <laughs> okay, much. Okay, good. <laughs> I think it was really the criteria around replayability and the fact that this is one of the games on the list I've actually played the most since. And in all likelihood, it's probably the one I would keep playing afterwards as well. So I think in that regard, it it definitely deserves a a spot here. And I think it's sometimes easy just to kind of disregard lighter games in terms of lists like this. But uh, respecting the fact that it's held up so well, I think it deserves a top three spot. You guys are just inspiring me to go and grab it from the back of the two-player shelf and get it out and play it again. Because, yeah, you're right, it is a very good game. Very good. Right, so my number three is... My top three very much interchangeable. They were an obvious top three for me. But the one I've kind of relegated for the moment is Macau. Steffenfeld, Allier, Revensburger. It's typical Feld. It's typical Point Salad. Not the most attractive looking game, but very much one of the first games, one of the first Euro games I ever played. We were talking back earlier about going round to our friend Steve's house and he would kind of throw these deep games at us. I think this may have been first or second that I ever played. Didn't really get it then. Slowly sort of grasped what I should be doing. Now I just see it as a classic and played it recently with Chris Marling again. He brought it to to our house and we both, Miss Wilfer and Natalie, absolutely adored it. And I walloped him, which is always great. Did you actually wallop him or did you beat him at the game? Bit of both. Bit okay, of <laughs> Yeah, this is one of the games that, uh, that that group that we talk about, my initial gaming group, really got into and really all understood and we all played it a lot and really got very competitive at it and people you know there was abuse flying around the place good natured abuse sometimes and it was one that we really did a deep dive into and i've played it a couple of times in the last eight years i enjoyed both plays it was my number 12 i think probably if we're going to bother to see outside something just outside the top 10 it always for me was a little Maybe, I know unthematic's a stupid thing to say because you can say it for every Euro. Maybe just that tiny amount, I wasn't quite in the story and I wasn't quite who I was. I was just playing to win, which I know is a Feld game thing. See, Ronan, I I actually thought this would be in your top 10 purely because of that, that those action cubes that you can really plan ahead and you can plan two, three, four, five turns ahead. I thought well, that would sing to you because you like to plan your actions. I think maybe because you're all forced to do similar things. You know where I like it to be slightly variable routes. And there are very there are different ways you can travel around, but you are all doing a bit of everything all the time. You can't pick a different route through it. Maybe. And no, it's number 12 for the year. I'm not it's a very good game. 
just not the the magic required to step up from there. And I think I feel similarly to the extent that it's mechanically very sound, and I think um, one I would probably prefer over several of his other games. But it's emotionally never really grabbed me, and that, as we're saying, yeah, okay, pace it on theme, but everyone tends to do the same thing. That that narrative arc is is very similar. The couple of times I've played it, I've very much enjoyed the game, but I don't see any other instance of the game being much different than a previous game of it. So for me, great game, but it's probably more of a preference thing. Okay. It missed the emotional heart of a classic, Sean. <laughs> Why now? I just thought I'd, I'd riff a little bit of Puri there. I don't really know what that means. <laughs> okay, good. Right. What's, what was your, what was your runner-up, Ronan? My runner-up, and uh, I don't know if you lads have ever heard of this because it certainly hasn't been mentioned today, but it's Cyclades. It started very good with the base game. I never got as frustrated with that end game round robin where you stop me, I stop you, oh look, someone's come in. When people started to learn the whole is it Pegasus mining, where so it used to be everyone would go for the Ares, the god of war, attempted to do an invasion to win, and then people worked out if you've got Zeus, you can mine through the deck by paying gold if you had enough gold, find the Pegasus and dump your troops in somewhere and get a kind of a scabby win. So that always that when people discovered that after a few years, that wound me up. But as Puria says, then the expansion started coming out. You've got Titans whereby the land masses are much more contiguous and therefore it's very much changed up how you play the game and you have a Titan unit and that's very important how you use your Titan unit. But the best expansion was Hades who offered an alternative to Ares in that there are other ways of getting troops but they were temporary and then troops could also build up via dying and power up the Hades character and it would come in every now and then and it would mix up what could become a slightly rotational system and it could mix up the, the system of wealth gathering whereby someone was ahead and they were just slowly accru- accruing wealth until it came to the point for them to make their killer blow and Hades mixed that all up and with Hades you've got a fantastic game with titans you've got a slightly different game which is also very good and it all works really fantastically well for me and i love it and i admit that there are flaws in it but this is one it's almost the opposite of macau whereby the emotion and the story of the game and my investment in it allows me to go past those slightly awkward moments so uh, there you go the polar opposite of macau both very good games but cyclades makes it to two and macau didn't quite and, you know, we've said it a couple of times now, this list in terms of the top couple of spots is quite fluid. And uh, in all honesty, that depending on the which version we're playing, the game could be quite a lot higher for myself. The base game itself, I think, would still be a little bit on the lower side. But as a package, as it stands now, I think uh, a great game. Yeah, see, I've been completely hypocritical because I refuse to allow the expansion of cast in the old world <laughs> to bring that in, but this one I've included the expansion. So I, I stand by the fact that I'm full of rubbish. Well, I think everyone knows that, Ronan. Jolly good, jolly good. I might, you, you know my thoughts on it. It was my number It's roughly five. your fifth best game of the year, I think. Fifth best game of the year, roughly. despite not owning it and despite probably not having played it for a little while, I still remember it with fond memories. P-Dog! My runner-up is an early Tasty Minstrel game, specifically Homesteaders. Now, this was very much marred by some production issues when it came out. Um, I know Ronin's obviously talked about it a couple of times previously, but (laughs) it's a fantastic game, and I think one of the rare games where it really, really holds up for me, and 
It's never any hesitation when I'm asked to play it. It's easy to teach. The engine building is hugely satisfying. And I'm also a very big fan of the auction system, very similar to the auction found in Cyclades. So for me, a great game. The newer editions, great production. And uh, hopefully with the new expansion coming out 2019, um, also some variety coming up. So yeah, my number two, Homesteaders. It's one I very much want to play. I've actually got a copy that I got in the maths trade. I managed to get one of the newer How what? How have you? I thought you'd played this. No, no, I've never played it. How? I don't know, because you've had it for forever. Well, for 10 years, mate, I can tell you that. <laughs> maybe maybe it's your really pretty version, Ronan. Your, your edition is so pretty. Maybe I didn't want to disturb it. Listen, it plays good, all right? <laughs> it smells. smells yeah, it plays it smells. <laughs> Just a complete aside, the new Stone Age anniversary edition, it doesn't have a smelly cup. Then it's not Stone Age, is it? It's not it's Stone not Age. Stone Age. No, 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 I've had to send it back. Anyway, yeah, it's Homesteaders. I really want to play it. I'm desperate to play it. It's on my list to try before I decide whether to keep things because I'm trying to thin my collection down. I'm pretty sure I will keep it. And if not, I'll offer Ronan my prettier copy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it. I prefer my <laughs> my bad copy. Yeah, a near miss for me, chaps. So never mind. Sean, you're number two. My number two, I think... Now, you don't have to say anything. I think it's going to be your both of your number ones. It is Shipyard from Vladimir Sushi, Czech Games Edition. A really thinky, typical sushi where you're building up your ship, you're going on your voyages, you're adding things in, you've got the rondel system going. Uh, quite difficult to, to get into, but once I'm in there, I'm gone, I'm away. I'm enjoying myself, I'm browse furrowed, snarling across the table at everybody else. A really, really strong game that holds up today. Browse furrowed and snarling. How do you play snarling, it? Snarling, snarling. Naked shipyard. <laughs> I'm so angry. <laughs> it's not my number one. Wow. It's not in my top ten. Wow. I know, and I do really like it. There's two reasons that kept out of the top 10. The one is the scoring's really weird. And when you build your own canals, if that doesn't link up to your objectives, which I'm going to roll into the same point, and your objectives also can be really weird and they can be much easier to do for more points. So the scoring system is not right and could do with a little bit of refinement for me. And the building the canals is weird. And the second thing is that with repeat, and I'm literally looking at it with repeated plays in too short an amount of time, it becomes repetitive. So it's one for me to play a couple of times, leave alone, play a couple of times, leave alone. And because of both of those, it didn't make my top 10. You're a wrong one. But, but close, another one within the mix. And surprisingly for me, uh, I only ever played this once actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. So oh. it's. Oh. Uh, <laughs> hard to judge. I I wasn't over the moon about it when I played it. I definitely enjoyed my experience of it, and uh, I'd be hard pressed to express uh, concerns about the design having only played it once. So for me, uh, it kind of really just it was a game that went under my radar. So maybe if I played it a couple of times, it might have made it. But as it stands, uh, not my number one. Well, I I don't know you two. I just don't know who am I on a podcast. Maybe you with? don't. Maybe you don't. 
It's the, the good bits are fantastic. It just was a little wonky. A little it lists to one side. You list to one side. I don't put that against you. You do quite often put it against me. <laughs> so take that back. Shall we? It could definitely be one of those candidates for a re-release. And I think um, given a good publisher, both in terms of production and maybe a bit of a rules refresh, it might be one of those games that uh, makes a comeback. Do you know what I'm thinking about? It, it reminds me of Pulsar in that there was a lot for me to like in Pulsar, but there was one or two things that kept it down. Uh, and I, you know, so 85% of the design I loved, but the 15% was enough for me to go, yeah, that's that's a really good game, but I don't want... Shipyards for me is better than Pulsar, but it, it had a similar thing where there's just these small rough bits within the mixture of the whole game that are that are ruining the overall perfection for me. Okay, very well, very well. Okay, let's do it. Trumpet flares and all that. Number one. <laughs> Trumpet flares? Trumpets flaring and all that. Uh, the trump- trumpets flaring? Blaring, maybe? <laughs> Trumpet flares are like a make of trousers you haven't seen since 1977. Oi, you leave my trumpet trousers out of this. <laughs> trumpet. Can I have it? No. Okay. <laughs> my number one is from Alex Rockwell. It's Homesteaders. Did you not say that it wasn't on your list a minute ago? Yeah, yeah, man. I played you. Did you like that? That was bringing some, some theatre. So you've lied to people. Deception, oh, yeah, lying. Deception in the Old West. You're not allowed to call it the Wild West. In the Old West. All yes. the Homesteaders fans would have tuned out by then. They All don't know. four of them have left. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he's not his number one, we're gone. <laughs> I, I distinctly remember the day 10 years ago opening that box and the stink that hit my nose. <laughs> My luckily, my copy didn't actually have mold growing on it, but I think the mold was thinking about it. It had a look around and kicked the walls and thought, "No, we're going to go live in another box." But it definitely visited because it stank, and the components still are not up to grade. Luckily, I haven't got Sean's obsession with deluxe versions, and I don't care because the game itself is magnificent. It is the best auction game for me in that. It's always tight, even if you're bidding at the lowest numbers or the highest numbers towards the end when you've all got money. Every single move counts. You're trying to look for synergy within your moves. You need to plan exactly when to pass. And in fact, if you're allowed to pass too often, it can become increasingly powerful as you go along the railway track. So there's a balance to that fact. There are many different strategies of how to go through it. The more you know the game and what's become available, the more you think, all right, I can plan this. I I can work this out. And yet the game is so tight and you have so few rounds that it's never possible to put a perfect plan into effect. It's always surprising. It's mean. It's nasty. You outbid each other. You end up hating each other for 10 seconds and then someone else will will outbid you and then you'll hate that person. And you can share the hate around the table like any good, tight, mean bidding game. And it's got a really strong worker placement and resource generation and conversion engine going on as well in a game that lasts barely over an hour. Just a fantastic package and one of my favourite games of all time. So my top game for 2009 is Poirier's number two game, and that is Homesteaders. And, you know, we've said it all. The only thing maybe to add as well is um, it actually scales really well because I enjoy the game both with four and three. So in that regard, another extra bonus. So yeah, great choice. Great choice you as well, man. (laughs) Firstly, 
You say you don't. You haven't got my obsession with deluxe components. That's fine. Your addition could make you ill. You need to be quarantined after playing it for two weeks. I can assure you that I have licked every single tile clean, <laughs> so no harm can come to you should you play with my particular edition. Your your deception threw off my prediction as well because I had Homesteaders as possibly being your number one. And you came all bigging it in with shipyard, trying I to give it come a large. Bigging it in because I thought Nostra Shawness over there. If it's not, if it's not homesteaders, it's got to be shipyard. Yet, yeah, you're a disgrace. P dog, what's your number one? Right, this in part maybe also again just the fact that I've actually been able to get hold of it recently with the reprint, the game in question, Endeavor. This game originally published by Zeman Games went out of print very quickly and I think at the time it was also one of those victims of Z-Man's kind of black hole policy around not reprinting stuff so uh, lots of years very hard to get hold of but a game I'd always enjoyed playing and I think especially now with the reprint it's a game that plays so elegantly in terms of uh, you know having taken all the rough edges off around the rules it's easy to teach it's easy to play I enjoy the game every time we play it and for me it's really just one of those games that hasn't dated very much so for me the whole package and probably the easiest pick for me in terms of picking a game from 2009 both in regards to the quality of the game but also the one I probably play the most so for me my top game of 2009 Endeavor I had this one confused for a long, long time until actually it was the Polyhedron Collider boys. They've been playing it a lot recently and it made me think, hang on, that's not the game I thought it was. The game I thought it was was Ent Decker, which isn't very good. So that's why I got completely confused. And now I want to try Endeavour because I've, I've written it out, I've ruled it out of every thought process in my mind and... Yeah, it wasn't the game I thought it was. No, go back and rule it out again, Sean. <laughs> this is the worst game that's been mentioned today. <laughs> oh. They did they did smooth out the rough edges, and then they smoothed away the corners, and then they smoothed away the curves, and they smoothed it down to a flat, plain road that goes in one direction, and every single game plays the same way, and it's abstract, and it's boring, and you go do the exact same thing every time you play with very little variation. And it makes no thematic sense whatsoever. And it was hot in 2009, 2010. And I played it half a dozen times. Hated every single game of it. Did it because, you know, you take one for the team. And this reprint is going to ruin my life again because I'm going to be made to play it again. And it is, it's not just not that great. It's dull. Oh, Shocking choice, please. No. You, you must know that I dislike I this do. game intensely. Yes. And I, I will make one caveat here. And that's why you made it number one. No. <laughs> well, yes, baby. <laughs> I, w- I will give it one caveat, which is to say I am very, very careful not to play this game too often. So I have a particular category of games which I know I will play out after maybe half a dozen games. So... It's, it's a special category game where I know I enjoy the puzzle. I know the puzzle is static. So by all means, that is a criticism I'll take on board. But I think for, for how quickly it plays, I do genuinely enjoy it. And for me, it's a puzzle that I take to. And um, I can see the criticisms are out being dull. But I think for me personally, you know, when I do play it, it's quick, it's easy to teach. And it's a puzzle I enjoy. So, you know, 
we we talked about it being a very fluid list. Uh, the top couple of spots, unlike you guys, I think I didn't really have a strong preference. Could have easily been Homesteaders um, as well, but uh, it's it's a game I like. I think the production quality of the reprint is very good. Not that that should influence the choice. Yes, it should. Of course, it should. <laughs> <laughs> my my response is definitely in part. I have to be aware is a contrarian response with regards to I just didn't see it what everyone around me was seeing it. So I probably then started digging in and moving further and further back and having more revulsion towards it because I was just getting told constantly I was wrong and how great it was and I must be some form of Egypt. Well, it's true, I am a form of Egypt, but that's not going to make me come around to your way of thinking. So I definitely dug in a bit and now I've taken a start of... Well, listen, I never enjoyed it, but but sometimes I feel like I have to be the voice of, of what I see as reason and everyone else sees as not and say... No, 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 and point out the worst parts of it. So, I mean, you you know, it's your choice. It's wrong, I'll but it's play, your choice. I'll play, I'll play it, P-Dog. Never mind that Egypt over there. So, okay, you better, you better do better, otherwise I'm out of here. This episode's uh, never seen the light of day. Oh, well, we've already talked about this one. My number one is Carson City. Now, uh, Xavier Georges, uh, Quinnard is the new version, as, as P-Dog said, and originally Eagle Griffin. So... I played this one a long, long time back, probably around the 2011-12 mark with Ronan, and I didn't really get on with it. And again, five years ago, I would have completely dismissed this as as a game that I would ever enjoy. Played it again down, I think it was at LobsterCon, and really, really enjoyed it to the point where I got, I bought the big box, or I got it for Christmas, I, I had it on my Christmas list, played it again with Natalie, and just thoroughly enjoyed it, I just loved the bidding and getting the different characters every round, and, and tailoring that character to what you need, and the, the scoring for the, around the area of the buildings you're, you're building, and the different types of building, and I think it plays different every time because of the, the setup. And I just find it to be a thoroughly charming game. And the me of five, ten years ago would probably slap me and say, what you're talking about is terrible. But I, as I said, I've evolved. I'm coming round to these games. And Carson City is my number one choice. I think it was probably also a game ahead of its time. And it, as, as Puri alluded to, Worker placement games were relatively new. They've been around for four years, but that, that we didn't have the massive flood of them by that stage. And because it evolved them in a certain way and brought in... It, it was the sort of hybrid between Euro and America-style games that we didn't see much back then and brought conflict into a Euro-style game. I'm not sure people were that ready for it. And I think it would probably get a better reaction in today's market than it did 10 years ago. And the players around me would have responded more positively because they're more used to an evolution of those sort of mechanisms. So I think I would love to, because the more recent players have got a more positive reaction, would to play it more and more. And I can see it certainly coming into my top 10. I think this was a good choice, mate. I think for me personally, that mechanism around the role selection uh, as we're saying, something that also shows up in Vanuatu, for example, is one I really, really like, and I'd like to see in more and other games. Yeah, but Poria, why do you keep choosing games that are so miserable? What's miserable? Vanuatu is one of the most... Vanuatu is brutal. That's what's so magnificent about it. You could play it for an hour and be left of, what have we got? A fish. <laughs> for my hour of play. And how many points? None. No, I can. No, you're wrong. <laughs> Vanuatu is one of the meanest, greatest games ever to go under the radar in terms of mass public. 
they, no, no, he could have made a hit of it and then he messed up the Kickstarter campaign. Come on, we all know that. <laughs> We're okay to that. <laughs> no. Right, lads, I've been taking down some notes. So what I've done is I've looked for the games that we had crossovers on and shaped them into, according to our selections, a top three. Now, I had to cheat because we didn't choose very similar lists. So I included two games that weren't even in my top ten but were close to it. But I see what your thoughts are on this as a top three for us. Roughly speaking, our rankings, number three would have been Jaipur, number two, Carson City, and number one, Cyclades. Puri, your thoughts on that as a starting place for people looking to play games in 2009? I think you need to include Homesteaders in there. As I said, for yeah, me, I do too. Yeah, for me personally, it could have easily been number one. It's a fantastic game, and I think uh, we'd be definitely doing a disservice not to include it on that list. But I think maybe if you extend that to four games, uh, that that sounds a pretty good list to me. Yeah, I think uh, Homesteaders, but given that it was your number one and two, and Puri actually said it could quite easily be in his number one, I think it definitely deserves on the, uh, a place on the list, and I'm sure that when I do eventually play it, I will enjoy it too. So I think it is a strong list, Ronan, definitely. Nice. Well, firstly, thank you every mu- everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed this little retrospective. We're thinking about maybe doing it every year, looking 10 years back, Sean. It might be something interesting for people to listen to. Yeah, certainly. I think I think the, the, one, the one a year, looking that 10 years back, is probably where we're at, yeah. Sweet. So thank you for listening, everyone. Puria, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your perspective. Well, thank you for having me back on the pit. It's a pleasure as always. And uh, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll see you next year. Well, I'm going to see you in two days' time. We're going to play some games <laughs> together. <laughs> now you just made me jealous again. I hate you both. I'm seeing you soon enough. We've got our games day planned and our, and our local pub day as well. What? <laughs> <laughs> so thanks everyone very much for joining us sean is going to see you out and as always we are very proud members of the dice tower network go there and to the dice tower itself for gaming goodness galore if you wish to download our episodes we're on podbean stitcher itunes and spotify and we of course have our youtube channel please go there for our pit stop videos which give you overviews on games and also convention coverage we're on social media we have our facebook page we have our instagram page and of course we're on twitter at game pit podcast if you want to contact us our email address is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com and the best way we feel of contacting us is to pop along to Board Game Geek and find us on the guilds there. And we're more than happy to chat with you there. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Music by E. Aaron. Oh.